I'll tell you what I'd like for you to do. And normally we just stand at the reading of the, the Word, but I have a good number of scriptures that I want to make reference to, and I want to talk as I read this, so I'll just let you be seated. How about that? <clears throat> if you're a guest of ours and you don't have a Bible, uh, <clears throat> just uh, look on with someone else. Psalm 78. And what we want to do is start reading at verse 34. Let me just tell you a little bit about the setting. Uh, the psalmist is reminding Israel about things of their past that they should not have forgotten, but nevertheless they did. The crossing of the Red Sea, you'll, you'll find that. How could, how could these people who had crossed the Red Sea, how could they forget that? Now you have to keep in mind the generation of people that, that he's talking to here did not experience that. But we know that their forefathers had crossed. They were only in the wilderness a few days until they forgot it. So I want to speak on the subject, forgetting the unforgettable. And basically, when we're saying forgetting the unforgettable, that sounds like a contradiction. But in essence, what we're saying is, that they didn't take heed. I'm sure that if you went to any of those people who crossed the Red Sea, as long as they lived, they could tell you the story and how that God miraculously delivered them. But as Solomon said, there's no new thing under the sun. All generations have, I mean, for the most part, predominantly been the same. I believe there's more wickedness in the world today because... There's more people in the world today. Seriously, I think that's the only reason why there's more wickedness in the world. Because there's more people to give themselves over to wickedness. It's like when the Bible speaks of magnifying the Lord. Now, <clears throat> you may not understand it, but you can really contact God in, in a private moment of prayer. But there's no doubt about it. When many people get together and they begin to praise the Lord, this is when God becomes multiplied, or should I say magnified. And you know what you do when you magnify something, don't you? Most of you have glasses. I see glasses shining all throughout the, the auditorium. Or after I turned 40, I got where I couldn't read my Bible. I thought there was something wrong with my Bible. I mean, I had gone through it so many, I, seriously, I had gone through it, and it, it was just worn, practically worn out, and I thought that, that the, the letters were all getting smudgy. And so someone picked up my Bible, and I, I made reference. I said, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. Hmm. Found out it was my eyes. So someone told me, said, why don't you just get some reading glasses? Well, <clears throat> those reading glasses... What they are, they're, they're just kind of the bottom part. You magnify and, you, you know, you look over the top. Because I could see at a distance real well. Well, I tried on a pair of them, and I'm telling you, I look terrible in those things. They weren't for me. <laughs> and I know we have some people that have them. I'm not making fun of your glasses, okay? It's just on some people, they look terrible, and I happen to be one of them. All right. <clears throat> so, you know, I've been called Al Capone by some people like some, some people come to our church and they said, the pastor looks like a gangster. <clears throat> you know, if you could feature Al Capone in a pair of reading glasses. I don't know what Al Capone looked like. I'm sorry. I really don't know. And I don't like to compare myself. I'm just telling you what some of you did. And I know if I put those glasses on that, that I would really throw someone a curve. So I decided that uh, <clears throat> I didn't want those. But would you believe my very first pair of glasses, I had to get bifocals. And I just, I, I could not adjust to those things. I got glasses, I went straight to the Minnesota camp, and I was doing some teaching, and I started down, and the thing about the bifocals, I mean, everything is really enlarged, and it looks closer. I mean, the ground's further away than what you think. <clears throat> and whenever I stepped down on the step, I just, you know, I thought I was going down a little ways, and I went, boom. I mean, I almost fell. So this is what the Bible is talking about when it says magnify the Lord. In other words, 
you take and enlarge him. How do you enlarge people? You cannot enlarge God. But as some people view him, he is enlarged. In other words, when I get my glasses and put them on, do you think that the words in the Bible get larger? No. They remain the same. It's just that as I view it, it's larger. And that's what happens when we get together and we have a great atmosphere of worship. We magnify the Lord. But did you know that Satan is magnified in our particular day? He's magnified. How is he magnified? The same way we magnify God. Kids sit around talk about dope. Drugs. I mean, have you ever gone and looked in the newspaper and saw a big advertisement of cocaine? Having somebody's name down say, I'm the biggest dealer in Wisconsin? You ever seen that? Never have seen that, have you? How does the word spread around? Right after this drug craze hit America, I was up in, in Alaska, and I was amazed in some of the tiny villages... Some of our pastors told us that we are the biggest problem with drugs. How in the world? Because people sit around and they talk about it and they praise it. They magnify it. They make it sound so great and so wonderful. In other words, it is enlarged in the view of these people. There's no new thing under the sun. I mean, adultery has always been in the world. Cain slew Abel, killed, he murdered his brother. Guess where he was when he murdered? Just run outside the Garden of Eden, someplace in that area. Fresh and innocent. But as time goes on, the Bible says, that the sins of the fathers are visited to the third and the fourth generation. How does that happen? It's because that fathers promote. They magnify. They enlarge. They pass it on. And you know, another thing that I've noticed, that, that doubt can be passed on. You can actually magnify doubt. Some people are just born pessimists. You know, just... Really, I heard one man say when, you know, when when the the suits came out, three piece suits. That's before the vest. You get two pair of pants and a pair, well, one coat, because you usually wear the pants out before you wear the coat out. But the guy says, "I'm not going to buy a three piece suit." I said, "Why not?" He said, "Well, I'm afraid I'll tear a hole in the coat." <clears throat> you know, some people are just that way. Sister Grant got me this little sticker, and I don't know why she got it for me, but she put it, at least she said it was for me. I thought it was for, for the household, but she put it on the refrigerator, and it showed a little basset hound, you know, the long ears and sad eyes, with a bowl of spaghetti turned over its head, and spaghetti's hanging down. And this is what it said. It says, I have read so much about the ill effects of overeating that I decided to give up reading. <laughs> it's a way to cure a problem, isn't it? <clears throat> In other words, if you don't want something to bother you. I made this statement, you know, the answer. I said there's two things that serve as an answer to a clear conscience. Number one, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can prove that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ will purge your conscience. Your conscience. It will do that. Now, the thing about it is, the other thing that will clear a, a bad conscience is a short memory. You know, some people just forget how bad they are. They forget about doing things that are bad. Now, I've always been very sentimental, and it's hard for me to forget certain things. I can't see how these people, you know, 
I don't know what causes the general makeup of a person. We, we notice some of the little babies. I'm sure that Don and Peggy Moran, they hold their baby here. Already, there's a personality and there's a likeness. And, and you see, uh, one will be strong-willed. The other will, will be just kind of, you know, passive about everything. See? Our children were that way. My wife, you know, is very sweet. I am too. <clears throat> they get a little of both and sometimes more one and less of the other. But for some unknown reason, sometimes you just, you have a child, you say, who did this one take after? So I don't know. I don't have any idea. Well, there are certain things, just I guess by nature, that, that bother me. Now, when I was growing up in school, my first day at school, I had a fight. I almost got kicked out of, uh, out of first grade. And, and I just fought all the way through high school. I got scars all over me, you know. I just thought I didn't have a successful day unless I had a good fight. I'm serious with you. When I was in the 10th grade, we were playing football. And I remember I caught a pass and ran for a touchdown. This was just, uh, we were just out playing football. And one of the seniors claimed that I didn't catch it, that he hit the ground first. Well, we didn't have instant replay, you know. I know that I caught it. But he knew I didn't. So our coach, our football coach happened to see us, and what he did, he came over, and he says, okay, we'll stop this. Take boxing gloves. Well, that that suited me. Several people said, Grant, you're not going to fight that senior. Yeah, I'll fight it. Sure. So I did. <clears throat> and the guy, I mean, he said, look, you're in for a hard, long day. Because what we had to do, we had to fight until somebody knocked the other one out or until one gave up. I mean, now the whole problem with this is that you didn't solve anything. Because I'm sure that back in my little hometown of East Texas, there's still grudges being carried <laughs> by people <laughs> who got in a fight in high school thinking that it was going to be solved in a boxing match. And it, did, it didn't. But now, you probably think I'm bragging on myself. Maybe I am a little bit. But nevertheless, that's <clears throat> beside the point. I mean, we got engaged in this fight, and after two or three rounds, I mean, the senior guy was, he, he was getting a pretty good weapon. And in the fourth round, one of his eyes closed up. And then, of course, when you can't see very well, you can't box very well. And in the fifth round, he, he called it quits. And the guy's face just puffed up like this. Now, the problem is, <laughs> this is how sentimental I've always been. Every time I'd see him, I'd have to go someplace and cry. I felt sorry for him. I couldn't make myself dislike this guy. I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm serious with you. I just, I couldn't make myself dislike him. And would you believe I spent a lot of time apologizing and trying to make friends with this guy? He didn't want to have anything to do with me. And I couldn't understand as nice as, you know, as nice as I am, why anyone wouldn't want to have something to do with me. But he didn't. And he let me know. And the last time I saw this man, well, of course, that's before I left East Texas, he still didn't want to talk with me. I wanted to talk with him. I mean, he was a pretty nice guy for letting me beat him up like that. But, I mean, that bothered me. Now, I'm sure that there were people who were loyalists to God, who never forgot God and the things that he had done. Now, see, I said all that to say this. You know, I, I even look at some marriages, and, and I don't understand. I guess I don't understand how a marriage after two or three children could go bad. I guess I'm just too tender. Seriously. I, I, mean, yeah, I mean, you know, here's a woman that has given birth to my children, and we were in the hospital, and I held those little tiny things in my arm. And, you know, all those precious moments, think about all the 
Christmases and birthday parties and the smearing of cake on the face by the infant. The first words and everything. I mean, how can you stop keeping house together? See, I just, I can't understand it. Well, I don't love her anymore. Like one guy said, incompatible. I hate her guts. <laughs> I said, now how can you do that? And I will assure you that, that the troubles of life fall upon everyone's shoulders. <coughs> they plague everyone. But how can a person who has been so genuinely delivered from sin and from iniquity and from a bondage like, like Israel. I mean, they were, you call it what you want to, my friends, it was first-class slavery. They were beaten, they were bruised, they were abused 400 years. I can't think of anything on the planet Earth more brutal than slavery. One person ruling over another one like that. Owning someone. I don't think there's anything more brutal. And then God delivered them. And you know the first thing they did? They started griping. They started complaining. And I've often wondered if maybe their complaining didn't have something to do with their raising in Egypt. Now, you know, you can, you can grow up in a negative environment and God can save you ten times. It's just a figure of speech, you know. But he can save you. But there are certain things that you have to discipline yourself away from. See, if you grew up in an environment where parents placed priority on things rather than character, you'd probably sacrifice character in order to, to acquire some commodity of life. And it takes a long time, a lot of reading, and a, a lot of discipline and schooling to get yourself out of that. I wonder if their negativeness didn't have something to do with their days of slavery. But nevertheless, the key to their infidelity was in their own hand. They could use it at their own discretion. God had delivered them. But you would think after someone had been beaten many of them slain, many of them lost their lives in Egypt, that when they walked through the Red Sea, they would never forget what God had done. And that's where we are. Here's what happened, though. Verse 34, when he slew them, then they sought him and returned and inquired early of God. So what happened in the wilderness? God slew some of these people. Now, I know... In our, then in our baby boomer generation, I am told that we should accentuate the love of God and we shouldn't talk about the judgments of God. We shouldn't talk about hell. But sometimes you have to sacrifice the content of the Scripture to do that. The Bible says God slew them. Now, that's what the Scripture said. And you know the reason why we don't have a lot of fear of God in our world today? Because there's too many people that don't understand God and the nature of God. Now, I realize that you're not God, but I think you could get a, a little bit of a feeling of this. Let's say you had a son, and your son was suffering. He was having to walk to work or hitchhike to work or whatever. And all of a sudden you came into some money, you decided, I'm going to buy him a car. So you bought him a car. Let's say you went out and got him a nice Trans Am. Do they still make Trans Am? They do? I think so. I'm not keeping up with cars nowadays. All right. 
So let's say you got him a nice Trans Am. And he's got this bright, shiny red Trans Am. So he comes whipping in the driveway one day, and the fender's all torn off. You said, son, what happened to the car? I said, oh, I was in the parking lot over there, and I was in a hurry. And I thought, well, now I can squeeze right through here. I know I'll have to sacrifice a fender. And this seems to be the mindset of some drivers. I can sacrifice a fender, but nevertheless, I can get through here. And what's going through your mind? But I gave you that car. I gave you the only transportation. Well, that's all right, Dad. It looks a little one-sided, but uh, I could just take a hammer and knock the other fender off. So you take a sledgehammer and knock the other fender off. See, now it looks even. It's symmetrical. What's Dad going to think? He said, no. And then you go out and you look at the interior of it. And uh, black leather all inside, and this, you know. And uh, he's taking a uh, crayon, and he, he decided he wanted to put flowers on the leather, like floral seats. After a while, the, the thing's abused. Then he ran across the buddy who had a four-wheel drive, one-ton Ford truck that had a big diesel in it, and dually's on the back, and he likes the four-wheel out. He decided, oh, I'll take my Trans Am. After all, my Trans Am costs more than that. So, out across the pastures he goes, down, hits the rocks, comes in, mud all over it. Next thing you know, he's out the garage, he's got the cutting torch, he's cutting part of the body off. He says, you know, it just goes faster when it's lighter. <clears throat> I mean, have you ever helped someone that you felt really needed help and you knew within just a matter of days that there was no appreciation for them. You know how you feel? It's like your heart falls out. And you don't know how to correct it. You don't know what to do. Well, then you put yourself in God's position. Sometimes you have to think like God thinks. I know you're not God and you can't do that. In, 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 in all aspects, but occasionally you can transpose, put yourself in a position of God. I, mean, I save those people. I help those people. And what are they doing? You find out after buying this Trans Am that your son's been going next door and talking to the neighbors. Ah, oh, my old man. Oh, he's got money to burn. He could have done a lot better than this. You know, there's nothing in all the world that's worse than backbiting. You know that? I mean, someone that'll... <laughs> sing your praises to your face, and as soon as you turn your back, they'll stab you. There's nothing worse than that. This is what they were doing. Listen to this. All right? Verse 35, And they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God their Redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter Him with their mouth, and they lied unto Him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with Him, neither were they steadfast in His covenant. Now, what saved them from utter destruction was this basic characteristic of God. But He being full of compassion. Brother Rutherford recently preached a message on compassion, one of the best that I've ever heard. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all of his wrath. I mean, if you stir up all the wrath of God, just like you can kind of get a little bit every now and then. It's not like it when you lose it. I mean, have you ever lost it? I mean, where you just went stark, raving, insane with anger? Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever? Do we have anybody here that's had a bad temper in the past? We want to ask you to commit yourself to now. That's too revealing. I raise my hand. I have. Remember one time one of our boys, he took enough of his brother, and he went and got the hammer. 
I said, hold, hold it, hold it, hold it. I mean, you'll kill someone. Yeah, and that's what he wanted to do. I said, no, you don't want to kill someone. All right. So you don't want to stir up all the wrath of God. All right. Verse 39, the reason why that all of God's wrath was not kindled is because God had the ability to remember. For he remembered that they were but flesh. The problem is, Israel could not remember. The unforgettable story of the Red Sea had been forgotten. For he remembered that they were but flesh. A wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Did you know God's unlimited? And here they were out there complaining about God not being able to do something. And the reason why God was not able to do something is because they handcuffed God, so to speak, to some of those rocks out there. The very few trees that were out there, they handcuffed God with their doubt. Did you know you can handcuff God with your doubt? You can do that. Well, I think God's going to help me, but just in case he doesn't. Sounds like faith, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Every now and then I, I just have to stop and remind people when they say, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm going to try something. Have you ever tried believing God? I mean, have you done that? So they limited, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not His hand, nor the day when He delivered them from the enemy. Can you believe they forgot the unforgettable? And I paused there just long enough to reflect on many people that I've seen pray through at the altar and stand up and say, this is the best day that I have ever lived. I don't know how many people we've taken the baptismal tank. Baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And people have gotten out, they all say the same. I, I have never felt better inside than I feel right now. It's better than any high that you'd ever experience on drugs. It's better than any thrill you'd ever feel when you look at a movie. It's the best thing. It's the best feeling that I've ever had. Well, after a while, time rolls on. person grows cold in God. And all of a sudden, there. What goes through a person's mind? You saw all these people... Standing and lifting their hands. You know, sometimes it's it's very distracting if, especially if you're a guest and the person in front of you jumps up and you can't even see the reader board. And you don't know what we're singing. Been baptized in Jesus' name, spoken tongues when the Holy Ghost came. You know, you can't. You don't know what everybody's saying. It's very distracting. But you see, the reason why the person is doing it is because deep down inside the person's heart, there's just something that wells up and that person just can't stop. I mean, this person is thinking about what God has done, rejoicing in his God, enjoying his salvation. You know, you'd, if someone was given a million dollars, you'd expect that person would be happy, wouldn't you? And you would probably have a little bit more toleration if someone was around you and they were acting like they'd lost their brains. You'd say, oh, well, they deserve to. They, they just received the riches. But you know some of the greatest riches in life? Not in money form. It's being rich inwardly. Rich in your soul, rich in your mind. 
And how can people who have danced in the Spirit and spoken in tongues, repented their sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, enjoyed the clean, wholesome fellowship of godly people, how can they forget? Now you'd think that somewhere in the blackness of the night, when things are not going well, they would reflect back and they would say, God, I remember how good you made me feel over at that little apostolic church. And they'd come back to God. I'm going to tell you the reason why they don't, okay? The secret is found right here in the Scripture. We're going to read on. All right. Verse 43, how he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zon. And he turned their rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. My, they saw all of that. It was more than the crossing of the Red Sea. When Moses and Aaron stepped into the land and God had called him to deliver his people and talk to Pharaoh and Pharaoh would not let those people go. Moses took his staff and he went out and he struck the ground and all the water turned to blood. You're talking about a divine act of Almighty God. Pharaoh said, oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'll let him go. And just about time that he decided that he was going to let him go, what happened? Changed his mind. Do you have any idea why he changed his mind? The Bible says, God, you listen to me, hardened his heart. I won't tell you how God hardened his heart, okay? It's found right here in the Scripture. He sent divers sorts of flies among them and devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave also their increase unto the caterpillar and their labor unto the locusts, and he destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost, and he gave up their cattle also to hail and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. Man, you talking about... You talking about a tribulation period. Man. Now listen to this. Verse 49. And he cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, and indignation, and trouble. My. Now you, you think of what we're, we're talking about. The fierceness of his anger, his wrath, his indignation, and trouble. How did he do it? By sending evil angels among them. Now you think about this. When the Bible says God hardened their heart, it wasn't that God went in and with his own finger or his own Holy Spirit hardened their heart. All God has to do to allow the tribulation period to take place is to rapture the church evil will automatically take over. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians that the Antichrist cannot even be revealed until the church is taken out of the world. Every now and then I pick up an article and I read it. And this article say, well, the Antichrist is alive and they tell about some little country over in in, in in Europe or, uh, or maybe some unheard of individual that's doing. They said, this has got to be the Antichrist. Well, the Antichrist will not be revealed. Now, sometimes there are many false alarms. I will say this. You're better off to heed a false alarm and keep your heart right than to pay no attention and be lost. You know, I got called last night. I just add this. I got called last night at 1.44 in the morning by the security company that has the security system in the church and they said that that there's been an intrusion in your church and we'd like for you to come over well i said i can't get there right away i never received a call since we moved out in the country so i thought well i'll call brother man <laughs> i called him and and sister manly says no said he's over to church i call the church and there's no answer here <clears throat> well i couldn't get a hold of anyone so i said well, i'll have to drive in so i drove in i waited and i waited there's no one here. So then I called the company. They says, well, uh, uh, we'll call the police and find out what happened. Well, the police 
It came, and Brother Manley came over. That's what had happened. I didn't know that. It just so happens he wasn't here. He had been studying, and he had left, and he was still studying, and Sister Manley was sound asleep, and I happened to get her on the phone. I talked with him this morning. He said, I'd been gone about 45 minutes. Don't know what happened. But he said, when I arrived at the church, there were three county cop cars and one Madison police car. I mean, they had the place around it. There's an intruder. I don't know what you'd steal around here. Somebody's stealing all of our bulletin board materials. Thumbtacks. I mean, if you're looking for money, <laughs> you came to the wrong place. <laughs> no, I do appreciate all the giving of our people. Really. I, that's not to say you're not. <laughs> <clears throat> but isn't it better, though, to come to a false alarm than it would be to just say, Oh, forget it. We're not even going to set that alarm anymore. You know, one time our church was broken in seven times in one year. That's why we have an alarm. We found out that most people don't regard God's property as being God's property. It's mine if I want it. That's a greed that's in the world today. So you're better off to come and take care of a false alarm and be ready than to let intruders come in. Because there was a time which I got up on Sunday morning. We had no microphones. We had no PA. All the musical instruments were gone. I mean, everything like that was taken. I've heard people say, oh, don't try to scare me by preaching the coming of the Lord. I've heard that before. Well, what did you do about it? Well, he didn't come. So next time, I guess I... What are you going to do next time? Well, I guess I just have to remember he didn't come. Well, you know what's going to happen? The Bible says the Lord is coming as a thief in the night. And you're better off to heed the false alarm and him not come than to just idly and passively walk on by and not prepare your heart. Because when the Lord comes and takes the church out, there's nothing to keep Satan from taking over. All God had to do is simply just direct evil spirits that were there ready to destroy people. That's all he had to do. Now, if I understand Revelation 14 correctly, and if also if I understand Revelation 12, 4, Revelation 12, 4, when Satan was kicked out of heaven, and this goes with Revelation 14, or Isaiah 14, pardon me. If I understand that correctly, he took a third part of all the angels with him. Now that simply means that there, that, that there are evil spirits in the world today. Do you believe in demon possession? Oh, yes, I do. As much as I believe that God can possess your heart and fill you with the Holy Ghost, I believe the devil can also come and visit your heart. And fill you with iniquity. And all God had to do is to look at Pharaoh who saw the wrath of God. Now the wrath of God was very evident. That's a, that is a divine act of God. God put the thunderbolts there. God called, called the frogs out of the ground. God called uh, uh, and caused the, uh, the water to turn to blood. God sent the boils. But does God intentionally harden the heart? All God has to do is to look at a man who forgets what God has done and say, ha <laughs> ha, oh, go ahead. You, your God is not so great. Can you believe that Pharaoh forgot the unforgettable? That's why he drowned in the Red Sea. I mean, his own son was put to death by a death angel. That was the wrath of God that visited. But what did he do? He forgot the unforgettable. When the death angel came and you could hear the moans of people who were dying throughout Egypt, the firstborn of every household, 
if you didn't have the blood on the doorpost, the death angel would not pass over your household. And that's where the word Passover came from. But why did God send evil spirits? Because Pharaoh forgot what God had done. Do you remember when Jesus cast those devils out of the maniac of Gadara? And the devil then, being cast out, seeing himself without a habitation, sought to go someplace, and the Lord directed those evil spirits into a herd of swine. And they ran down the hill, destroyed themselves. It is the nature of the devil to destroy. In the book of Revelation, he is called Apollyon, our destroyer. You see, Jesus is the Savior. He saves. Pharaoh just forgot the unforgettable. How in the world could you forget that water had turned to blood? How could you forget all the flies and the lice and the locusts and the frogs and the death angel that visited your own household? How can you forget it? Well, really, he had not forgotten. He just didn't regard. He had a very low regard of what God had done. He sneered at it. We can go take those people. And it was that that provoked God. And while all the evil spirits were standing around wanting to do something disastrous to these people, all God had to do was say, well... I grant you permission to do what you want to do. You know, when you're out flirting around with sin, you think that sin is so beautiful and and so great, you've got to understand that it by nature destroys. And while you're sneering at God, and I've seen people sneer at God, I've seen young people sneer at God. You know, oh, mother... Yeah, she, you know, she might as well have been living back in in the dark ages. Go ahead. Because all God has to do, my friend, is just say, okay, we'll let you go without divine protection. That's all God had to do. He sent evil angels among them. Hmm. In other words, can you actually control your destiny when you forget the divine one? When you forget God, can you control your destiny? Do you have any power over your destiny? And every now and then, I have people say, Brother Grant, how can that person think that way? Not too long ago, someone asked me that about a preacher who used to be a very conscientious, conservative preacher with strong convictions. He said, he can't be thinking, oh, yes, he can, my friend. Because when Satan comes by, when God allows evil spirits to come by, Those evil spirits can control your thinking just as much as God can control your thinking. It's like a mind transplant. Can you control your destiny by discipline? You can't. You think you can. You can't. Now, you can discipline yourself to have God in your life, and that can control you, but you can't just say, well, I'm going to control sin. It's like a dead person. A dead person is dead, and you don't get any deader than dead. You understand what I'm talking about? But if you see two bodies, maybe one of them is is eaten up by corruption and decay, while the other one just died of a heart attack, someone took it in and embalmed it and beautified it and put it in a casket, but one is just as dead as the other. You may say, well, I can control. Can you actually control 
In other words, there is a world out there that you cannot see with your mortal eyes. You can see the effect on it, and you can see the effect upon human nature. Why do you think there's so much corruption in the land today? Someone said, well, why all the starvation in the world if God is God? Well, my friend, do you think God has anything to do with that? Don't you know there's a devil? You may say, and I've had people say this, well, why would God allow that? He allows that to go on just as much as He allows you to do what you want to do with your own life. You make a choice not to serve God, and yet you say that that is not equality. And yet you choose to go ahead and do what you want to do. But you see, in making that choice, though, when things go wrong, you may not be able to control your destiny. You only control the choice. In other words, I want to be a good sinner. Could I inform you, there's no such creature? Turn with me to, to Psalm 9, verse 17. Listen to this. The wicked shall be turned into hell. And all the nations that forget God. <clears throat> now notice what he talks about the wicked, and he talks about the forgetter, the person who forgets. Isn't that something? Now we don't have any problem with the wicked. We know that. There's been a lot of killings lately, hasn't it? And you pick up the paper, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's just startling. It's staggering. It's mind-boggling. What did I, I... I read yesterday something about a 10-year-old shot his parents. Was that a year in Madison? I just... Dear me. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Now let me tell you something. <clears throat> Can we expect America to be any better than America is? Did you know that most of our young people don't have any idea as to what God has done for our nation? And the devil's trying to destroy that. You've recently heard about outcome-based education, haven't you? I listened to a talk show on the radio, and this one man who was part of the author of this he was saying yeah but the way we you know, we don't teach history anymore they were saying don't you think that young people need to know how America, America got where it is and how it was founded oh no he said that's not important he said well how, what, do you, what do you teach from he said well basically he said I'll just, just show you what we've been doing we require all the students to bring a newspaper and one person will read an article and we then will teach according to current events. And sometimes it takes us back in the past to let us know how we arrived to where we are. Well, I don't know if you know it, but outcome-based education is being taught. I know it's being taught in Sun Prairie. It's one of the pilot schools. Do you think that that the devil would want us to forget what God has done for our nation. And no God in the schools anymore. I mean, just forget it. Don't say God. It's all right to talk about the devil. It's all right to talk about Ollie. It's all right to talk about any religion. But don't talk about Christianity. And we think we're going to stand as a nation. All we have to do as a nation to fall is to forget God. And the reason why is because when you forget God, when you slap Him in the face, and then have the audacity to think that wickedness won't take over, you've got to be thinking with rocks, not with a brain. 
if you know one thing about the Bible, you may say, can you prove the Bible? Let me tell you something. You can go outside the Bible and prove this to be true. Look at Rome. Look at Babylon. Look at the Greeks. Look at the Medes and the Persians. Look at Egypt itself. All of these nations that, that, that went deep into sin, and all they have to do to go deep into sin is just to forget their Maker, forget their Redeemer. So the Bible takes and lumps the two in the same category. The wicked and those that forget God. Now go in the book of Revelation, and, and I think, you know, this is, this is something. Well, let's first, uh, let's read uh, Mark 16. Mark 16. This is uh, called the Great Commandment. Mark 16, verse 15. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. In other words, to be saved, you have to do something. To be lost, what do you have to do? What do you have to do to be lost? Nothing. It's a very simple plan. Nothing. All you have to do is just ignore God. If you ignore God, the devil's going to take over. And you won't stop it. In Revelation 21... Revelation 21, verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now listen to verse 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving. Who is an unbeliever? It's really a person who does not take heed to the divine. It's kind of a passive approach. A passive attitude about the Redeemer, about God. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is the reason why that Jesus instructs us, if you will turn to John eight twenty four. This is why Jesus instructs us. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. And dying in your sins here is making reference to being eternally lost in the lake of fire. My friend, you don't have to do anything to be lost. It's actually a choice not. A choice not to serve God. And the reason why it's a choice not to serve God, because in a service like this, if you're not serving God, you must tell God many times, no. If there's any unsaved people in this building, I'm sure we have some. There's a probability that already in this service several times you have said no to God. When the pastor's trying his dead level best to reason with you, you're trying to figure out ways in which what he's saying is not applicable to your situation. You say no to God. I saw yesterday a t-shirt on a person. You see so many vulgar, vile t-shirts. I wanted to say, I wanted to commend this young person. It was a young person. The young person had her back, I think it was a girl, turned toward me. And she was a ways away from me. And I was talking with someone else and I didn't get the opportunity but she talked, uh, the, the, the message on the t-shirt was, don't compromise your faith. 
she said on the t-shirt life is not worth living unless there is a principle to stand for don't compromise your faith when I saw it I said to myself I want to go catch the hand of that young person and congratulate that young person or at least wearing a t-shirt that had such a powerful message. Don't compromise your faith. Life is not worth living unless there's a principle to stand for. And would you stand with me at this time? Why do you think that there have been so many hymns inspired of God. Now I say inspired of God. That goes something like this. Jesus, I'll never forget what you've done for me. We're not going to sing that. Jesus, I'll never forget how you set me free. If these are truly inspired of God, why do you think God puts that inspiration in someone's heart? Because perhaps the worst thing that could ever happen to you is for you to forget. I don't know if we sung this one this morning. He brought me out of the miry clay. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. Why do we sing that? Because our minds reflect back to that day that God pulled us out of sin. We sing Amazing Grace. Happens to be my favorite. <sighs> I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I spent a lot of time reasoning with people who are getting cold in God and losing out. It's always so sad when you see this mind transplant. And you know what's happening. I know what's happening. Because they did not regard God. The lying spirits had already started talking. You know what causes hardness of the heart? To believe lies. You know that? That's all it takes. Try to reason with people. Try to just shock them out of their boots, so to speak. Not too long ago, I asked a person, I said, I think I'm going to give up. Why are you going to give up? Well, everything's so difficult. Let me ask you this question. If you give up on God, is it going to get any better? Is it going to change? Well, I don't think so. Then why give up on God? I, 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 I don't know. I know the reason why you're thinking that way because there's a lying spirit. Now you better start regarding what God's done for you and count your blessings so that you can keep those lying spirits off of you. You may say, Pastor, are you trying to scare me? Listen, if I knew scaring you would get you saved today, I wouldn't only scare you today, I'd scare you every time you heard me preach. You better believe I would. Somebody said if you scare them to get them saved, you have to keep them scared to keep them saved. Well, I'm a preacher that could do that. The problem is we live in a shockless society because so many of our kids, so many of our young people, through television and everything, they just, you can't shock them anymore. And then what do they do? They said, oh, God. We're going to give you an opportunity to come and seek God today. All you need to do is step out from where you are, come down to the front. You can kneel on the carpet around the front, around the pulpit here. Give your heart to God. I feel a directive of the Holy Ghost. Come on. Prepare your heart to meet God. Repent of your sins. You can be born afresh and anew today. You can be baptized in Jesus' name. 
and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Come on, right now. Come on. Give your heart to God. Break me.